We love you, Lord. I thank you so much for the Iron Show and for my friends Johnny and Rick, Lord. Father, I thank you. I love you, Lord. I love you so much, Jesus. Game. What's up? 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 What
last year under that title. And uh, so I was brought up by my mom, went on to become, from a dental assistant, went on to become a housewife, and then in the early 70s started uh, started uh, seriously uh, pursuing art. And she went on to become a uh, world-famous uh, or nationwide, na- nationally famous artist. She's got artwork in the... Artwork in the White House to this day. Yeah, there's my mom's sculptures are still in the White House, in the halls of the White House. Really? Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. 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 She went on to become a famous artist. She, in fact, in, in the late 70s, uh, about the 77, 78, 79, she made almost twice as much money as my dad. So she uh, kind of oh. blows the ego, but... But uh, when I was uh, when I was a small boy, my mom. Now my mom, I come from a family. My dad's side of the family were Episcopalians. I don't know if you know much about Episcopalians, but uh, yeah, I do. The Episcopal, yeah, the Episcopal Church. For people who don't know about it, uh, they're sort of a twisted Anglican. offshoot of the Anglican Catholic uh, Church. They're a little bit. They you think they're sort of Catholic when you go in there because they have a priest and he's got a white collar. And uh, they uh, pray to the saints. They don't pray to Mary, but they pray to the saints. They're sort of a cross between Protestants and Catholics. Kind of uh, kind of strange from my point of view, but uh, I guess if you're an Episcopalian, that's pretty normal for you. But my grandma Wanda, who's my dad's mom, she always had a uh, a medal of Saint Christopher, and uh, in her car, she always had it clipped to her visor, a big old fat medal of Saint Christopher. And she told me from when I was a small boy that St. Christopher uh, was the patron saint of protection who watched over her while she was driving her Chevy. And uh, Catholics have the same thing. I had one of those. <laughs> so uh, I still have I still have her St. Christopher medal. That's the only thing of my Grandma Wanda's that I have after she died. I snagged that St. Christopher medal. And, you know, some would accuse me of idolatry having this St. Christopher medal, but all that does for me is remind me of my grandma. That's all I use my St. Christopher medal for, is to look upon it and remember my grandma. And uh, anyway, she was the organ player in a uh, in a uh, in the Episcopal Church, St. James Episcopal Church in Tigard, Oregon. And she was the organ play- organ player of that church for years and years and years. And my uh, grandpa sang bass in the choir. He's a big John McMahon, my grandpa namesake, uh, dad's dad. He had a big old hey, hey, big old guy. He's named after you. Yeah, I was named after him. Named after my dad's dad, John McMahon. Who was named after his dad? I would be John McMahon the 16th if I didn't name my dad Jim. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) somehow they broke the line with my dad, and I was uh, John McMahon the first again. Yeah, Jimmy. We don't call dad Jimmy. You want to call? You want to get hurt? Call my call my dad Jimmy. But uh, anyway, anyway, uh, anyway. uh, so um, that was that's the kind of the religious side of my dad's side of the family. Dad wasn't a Christian; he was a uh, agnostic, which is somebody who isn't sure. And my mom's side of the family they were Methodist. Methodists. I don't know if you know, anybody knows about the uh, United Methodist Church, but uh, they were uh, Methodists on that side of the family. And uh, I was baptized when I was like a year old uh, in the United Methodist Church. Where they baptize babies, they sprinkle water on your head and stuff. But uh, that was my yeah. mom's side of the family. My mom, 
was also agnostic, but she was, uh, my mom was agnostic and also insomniac and uh, dyslexic. So, I mean, if you don't understand what happens when you're all three of those things, if you're um, agnostic and uh, insomniac and dyslexic, you lay awake all night wondering if there really is a dog. Oh, God, come on. I heard that too before. I mean, I think you almost got it wrong, right, but yeah. No, yeah, I got it right. But anyway, okay. uh, anyway, mom was, mom was an agnostic. Better than she said you better than that. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to pray that you tell better jokes. <laughs> Right, I'm working on it. You know, all I know is long sermon jokes. I'm afraid I'd offend. Uh, so, yeah, uh, anyway. Put away the old man. <laughs> Put away the old man because we're, we're on the Iron Show now for sure. So, anyway, uh, uh, Mama was agnostic. Dad was agnostic. But, you know, as a little boy, my mama always thought it was real important for some reason to teach me about Jesus. She taught me about Jesus from when I was real little. She taught me about um, the things that he said on the cross. I had to memorize the things that he said on the cross. Uh, forgive them. They know not what they do. I thirst. You know. And uh, and then, uh, so I was pretty much agnostic. But Mom, for some reason, now I attribute this to the, you know, how everybody has the major of faith. Somehow it was real important for mom to teach me about Jesus and for me to make a choice. She always said that. She always wanted me to know about Jesus and she wanted me to make a choice about it. She told me, always told me she didn't believe, but it was okay if I did. And she wanted me to have a good background about Jesus, which is really strange when you think about it. But somehow it was important for my mom. So anyway, um, so anyway, basically come from a all agnostic, except for my Grandma Wanda was really the only Christian that was in my family when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And Grandma Wanda, my mom, my dad's mom. And uh, so I grew up and my my other grandma, my mom's mom, was uh, really into the occult and uh, mysticism. She gave me the Book of Tao. Taoism. That's uh, yeah, by Lao Tzu. Yeah, yeah, yeah Lao Tzu. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she gave me when I was fourteen. She gave me for Christmas the Tao Te Ching, which was the Book of Tao, written by Lao Tzu. So she was into that. She was into like paranormal stuff, ghosts, and stuff like that. So I came up with a. She. I spent a lot of time with my mom's mom, Grandma Maddie. She. She brought me up. Grandma Maddie brought me up with a lot of uh, a lot of spiritual stuff. Only wasn't about Jesus. It was you know supernatural. New Age type spirit. I had a big, she gave me a real New Age background. Well, I went on like this until I was about uh, the age of 21 when my girlfriend uh, broke up with me, left me for a big Italian woman. And, uh, Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was heartbroken over that. And uh, anyway, uh, oh. oh yeah, we were engaged to be married and stuff. But uh, I've been married. Very, 
I was very heartbroken with that. And that's really the first encounter I had with Jesus. Even though I wasn't a believer. I was, uh, when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, all the time I was growing up, uh, my dad was always looking for extra money. He was a longshoreman and a school teacher. And every uh, Saturday night we cleaned the St. James Episcopal Church on the same mountain where I grew up. And uh, it was at the bottom of the mountain, sitting at the shoulder of the mountain. Big, scary church. And Anyway, uh, so uh, I kind of grew up in that church and uh, hung out with Father Hayes, who looks a lot, almost exactly like Caretaker on the World of Prophecy. Uh, Drew, Caretaker on the World of Prophecy, looks just like Father Hayes. So as soon as I saw his picture, me and Caretaker were kind of at odds with each other. And as soon as I saw his picture, all of a sudden my heart kind of melted towards the guy because he looked just like Father Hayes. So um, uh, I like Caretaker on the World of Prophecy. Pretty soon to hear that. <laughs> well, I told him. I sent him an email, you know. I told him about it. and uh, So anyway, yeah, I like Caretakers. Shout out to Caretaker on the World of Prophecy. I like that guy. And we, you know, we have arguments and stuff. And me and him and Rick, we always have arguments. But there's a lot of love, too, you know. You know, all of us at the World of Prophecy, we got a lot of love. We have, we always get into tussles, but we still got a lot of love, you know. But people anyway, make us um, like-minded. Well, I think we got a lot of love there, whether we argue or not. Yeah, it'll make really it really like yeah. eventually. Just, oh, yeah. Christ is well, doing his work in sure. all of us. Well, that's for sure. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad because... It's going to happen. I know. Yeah, nobody's going to be... Yeah, like I said in the past Iron Show, nobody's going to be standing around in heaven arguing about pre-post or mid-trib or, uh, <laughs> you know... For the 15 views of eschatology, it's uh, nobody's ever going to be arguing about that in heaven. So, like-minded, that's a fact, huh? But uh, anyway, um, my first experience with Jesus was when I was 21 years old as an unbeliever. I was so heartbroken over my girlfriend and uh, stopped by at about 3 o'clock in the morning walking up Bull Mountain, where I lived, and stopped there at the outside the church and said, Jesus, if you're real, please be- give me back my girlfriend. Which she called me the next day and wanted to get back together. She broke up with her Italian girlfriend and uh <laughs> she wanted me back. Now this only lasted for a month, but you know what? It was a prayer answered and answered immediately. So uh of course it didn't work out and it wasn't meant to work out, but uh anyway. That kind of uh gave that kinda of woke me up a little bit. That was a little bit of slap in the face that Jesus is real that Jesus is real slap in the face. I don't know if any of you unbelievers out there ever got slapped in the face by Jesus saying, hey, I'm real, wait a minute. But uh, that woke me up just a tiny bit, and then I got this job at this uh, horrible desk factory when I was 22. And uh, there was an old man there, name was Louie. He was a hardcore snakebite Pentecostal who sat in the corner of the lunchroom every day telling everybody they were heading to hell, fire burning in his eyes, smoke coming out his nostrils. And when you look in the eyes of Louie, you could see yourself torching in the flames of Hades. <laughs> I, <laughs> I ain't lying to you, man. Louie looked at you, it was like looking at yourself burning in hell. But, uh, Louis was uh, pretty obnoxious, but he had this look of authority. And uh, there was always something that drew me to Louis. There was something. He believed what he said. And you could tell that when you looked in his eyes. Is yeah, this before avant-garde or a- after? 
This is um, after. I was in a band before that when I was uh, starting when I was uh, 18 to when I was 21, and this was after that band. I was in a band that was, we were famous on the West Coast. We toured up and down the West Coast. A uh, band by the name of Avant Garde. I was the lead singer and uh, songwriter. I wrote most of the songs, about half the songs. My guitar player, Kirk, he wrote the other half of the songs. And uh, we were uh, we were kind of a phenomenon on the West Coast. There's people that still remember us. But, uh, yeah, this was after the collapse of my band. Uh, well, the band just completely fell apart, and my life was in a shambles. And this was kind of, I was coming out of all of that. And that's when I, I was 20. It broke, the band broke up when I was 21. I was 22 now. Just got a job at the Evil Dust Factory, where I still work to this day. And uh, <clears throat> old Louie in the corner. Now, I so do, they make, do, they, do they make dust there or something? No, it's a recycling <laughs> factory. It's a recycling factory, and, and it's just dusty. Everything's got, you know, an inch-thick layer of dust on everything. And, uh, yeah, everybody sees me, they wonder about my eyes, they wonder what I'm smoking. No, I'm straight. I just live in a dust factory. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've spent my... Half more than half of my life in the evil death factory, but it's a job, you know. It's a job. Uh, but anyway, uh, when I was uh, 22, I got that job, and there was Louie in there, and something drew me to Louie. I don't know what it was, but I had been involved with a group of people, you know, friends here and there that were into the occult. They were into uh, they were into Al- Aleister Crowley. Uh, one group of friends was actually starting an Aleister Crowley. Uh, based uh cousin and I'd been to a couple of their cousin meetings, their witch meetings and stuff and I think it was from that that I really picked up a demon. I had demons whispering in my ear and it really I don't know if anybody, you know, you think people are crazy when they say that, but this would really, really, really scared me because when you've got voices whispering in your ear like it's somebody actually there and you can actually hear them and you can actually feel like the breath on your earlobes. <laughs> I mean, that really can scare a person. And I was really, I was scared to death. I was not sleeping. I was just terrified. And I went to Louie because Louie was a snake bite, hardcore, fire-breathing Pentecostal man who had talked many times about demons and, and deliverance and all this stuff. And I knew that Louie believed in this stuff. And, uh, so I ran to Louie one day, and I said, Louie, you got to help me. Um, i got demons whispering in my ear. Now, Louie was somebody out of everybody in the world that I knew was somebody who would actually not raise his eyebrows and shake his head at me because he believed in that stuff. So he took me to church in 1985. This was about six months later after I got the job. I was 23 years old at the time. On an April morning of 1985, with me and Louie and his pastor, led me through the sinner's prayer at the front of uh, Assemblies of God, Snakebite Pentecostal Holy Roller Church. <laughs> and, uh, that was my, that was my salvation experience, was that it was in the, in the, uh, in the Pentecostal movement, in the Pentecostal church in Newburgh, Oregon. Um, I don't know if anybody ever listened to this is ever from Oregon. It's uh I can't you know, I can't even remember the name of that little church, but uh 
Yeah, so, like, when Peter Gutierrez and stuff was talking about the Pentecostal movement, you guys were talking, old Johnny was listening, knew very well about all the things you guys were talking about, because that, that's my background, that came up in the Pentecostal church, and, but Louis broke away from that, um, about three years later, Louis, uh, had had it with the, uh, the teaching that you can lose your salvation every minute, you know, as soon as you sneeze, you can lose your salvation, you gotta ask for it back. That was kind of the, uh, not, I'm not saying that that's a Pentecostal teaching, but the church that I was uh, going to, they believed that. They believed that any time you slipped up or did anything wrong, you lost your salvation, you had to go get it back. Well, yeah. Louis had enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> Louis had yeah. enough of that, and he left the church and yeah. went yeah. going yeah. to that. Yeah. Sorry, and that's not what the scripture says. No. Right? No, right? it isn't. No. It isn't. But that's that's what they taught. You can't be born again and then be unborn again. So let those people know that's just impossible. Anyway. Amen. Amen. You know, and I didn't know any better one way or the other at the time. But Louis, he did know better. And he left that church. And I, so I did. When Louis left, I left. Because uh, I followed Louis. Because Louis was my kind of wise sage. I looked up to him as far as Jesus and spiritual matters. And what Louis said went, you know, for me at the time. So he started going to a Baptist church where, you know, the, the Pentecostals, there's some sects, some groups of the Pentecostals that teach you can constantly lose your salvation and get it back. Now, I'm not saying the whole Assemblies of God church believes that because it's not true. But some of the little ones do. And the Baptists are kind of famous for the once saved, always saved. You can't lose your salvation. I'm not saying all the Baptists are that way, but a lot of them are. I mean, that's kind of what they're known for, eternal salvation, secure in salvation. So Louis went that way, and then I started following the Baptist way. And uh, that's, that, that, was, that was my beginning history in Jesus. And uh, really, I got married uh, three years later in 1987. And uh, in a Quaker church, uh, my wife was going to a Mennonite Quaker church, and I met her. I was in. A, I was starting a band with a guy named Steve Poor. Who, hey Steve, man, love you, bro. Love you, bro. Steve Poor was the like greatest drummer in the world, still is to this day. And uh, we were start doing a studio project, forming a band called Amen. And uh, it was in one of our studio rehearsals that. Uh, my wife came in with his uh, wife-to-be, his fiance, and I met her there. And we got married in a little tiny Quaker church out in the country, uh, with the hills of Salem, outside of Salem, Oregon. We got married in 1987, July. And uh, from then on, uh, the I kind of wandered in and out of the gate, you know. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, there was times where I'd go for like a year, I'd be like listening to... The the uh, Christian radio all day long, listen to all the sermons, and uh, and then I'd go for a year and I'd go back, I'd slide back into, you know, a life apart again. Then I'd come back, you know, and rededicate myself to Jesus, and I'd wander back outside the gate. And this really happened year in, year out, on and off, on and out, wandering inside the gate until about. Late 06, 2006, when I first downloaded the first Future Quake show, and uh, something about Future Quake and Dr. Future, um, it wasn't, no, it wasn't 06, I take that back, it was, uh, 
would have been late 07, late 07. And uh, the Peter Goodgame interview was the first Future Quake I ever downloaded. And that was recorded earlier in 07, or in March 07. Anyone wants to go and listen to that? Want to know about the history of Johnny there? Feel what Johnny's, where Johnny's been? Go download uh, March of 2007, Future Quake. Uh, Future Quake 64 with Peter Goodgame. And that was um, when I heard, when I downloaded that, it was in late 07, and I heard that first interview with Peter Goodgame and Dr. Future. It wasn't Peter Goodgame or Dr. Future, either one separately. It was both of them together. They kind of brought me back into the gate. And from then on, I've pretty much been pretty pretty steady with Jesus. You know, I have. I've slipped up a few times. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, Johnny's not perfect. Johnny came from a bad background. You know, I'm a, I was a bad boy when I was younger. I'm telling you what. In fact, I was, my wife, my, my sister uh, was talking about somebody she knows who's in their late 20s who uh, is a bad boy. And I said, uh, wonder when she's going to be, you know, wonder when the person's going to shape up. And I said, well, let's see, I'm 47. Once you get into her, about 46 and a half. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now, uh, when I after I heard the first Future Quake show, you know I've got a history of rec- I've been a recording artist. You know I call myself that. I'm not the greatest. I'm not the worst. You know I'm mediocre. But I've been a recording artist since I was in my early 20s. You know doing home ping pong recordings, and then later got myself a multi track, and then a better multi track and better equipment. And, so I know a lot about audio, really. I've got a, I'm sort of a I'm sort of a half bank audio engineer. And I thought, you know what? Ever since I heard the first Future Quake back in late '07, I've harbored the idea that hey, if Doctor Future can do this, I can too. Now I don't have a voice for radio, but I figured, you know, about six months ago, I saw a podcast, I saw a TV show on Three Angels Network late, late at night, about two o'clock in the morning, and the guy started yelling, "The Lord needs Christian podcasters." It was that night. As I said in the last Iron Show, that I told Jesus I'm going to do this, whether it's whether it's bad or good, or whether I sound good or whether I sound bad, I'm going to do this. So uh, I was on the World Prophecy. I am a member of the uh, on the world WorldOfProphecy.com. That's WorldOfProphecy.com. You can go there. Anybody hearing this? Uh, I'm Johnny Longshoreman, and I got in there, and I, I got a big mouth. I got a big mouth. You know me, Rick, right? <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. So I was, uh, I was, uh, I started this thread, this discussion uh, thread on the world of prophecy, and I titled the thread "Jesus Was Big, Tough, and Scary Looking." And <laughs> you know, there was a few people, you know, like I'd say, like maybe. 60% of the people were like, yeah, you know, I think he was. I think Jesus was a big, tough guy, you know, and we were going around speculating, and then pretty soon people started getting mad at me, <laughs> and they were slapping me around, taking turns slapping me around, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, I thought, I'm going to leave this place because everybody hates me here, and uh, I got slapped around real hard on one post, and I was looking at it just shaking my head. 
I logged off. I logged back on. Because I was going to run off at the mouth a little more. And I hear this guy, Lions for Jesus, had come in and stuck up for me. He just like he stood right in front of me with a big gladiator sword and was just <laughs> just keeping the monsters at bay. That's what I felt like. <laughs> and that's my boy Rick. That's my boy Rick. My host co-host Rick. And yeah. uh, he fought he fought him off for me and uh he's really stuck up for me and I you know, it almost brought me to tears. I was like, man, Look at the, who is this guy? This guy cares about me. I never even heard of him before. I didn't even know he existed. <laughs> so I sent him, and he, we sent each other a couple of emails, you know, and oh, it's been, it went about two weeks, and then I said, hey, you want to start a podcast with me, a radio show? You know, maybe get on the radio. And, uh, and I didn't know, I couldn't think of, I was afraid to ask him. I was afraid to ask Rick because, you know, I didn't know, I, you know, I was afraid of rejection. So I did the only thing that I know how to do. I asked him kind of in a long, short fashion. I said, Rick, you want to, you want to do, a, you want to do a radio show with me or should I take you downtown and buy you a nice pink dress? <laughs> And Rick wrote back to me, and he, want, he not only wanted to do the radio show, but he wanted the pink dress, too. <laughs> oh, come on. It's <laughs> <laughs> because I made fun of your pink guitar is doing that. <laughs> yeah, I got a pink guitar. His name's Pinky. He's been with me. My wife bought Pinky for me in 1987. So, uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, it was then that I knew I found my co-host, and the Iron Show started during a prayer session that we, that we did on, that I did, I set up on TalkShoe, um, for, it was, uh, Dr. Future was going to be on Coast to Coast, which is the biggest radio show in the world, and, uh, and we and I was concerned, you know, just because it was so big, and I wanted Dr. Future to do well, so I decided I'd set up a live conference prayer session for Dr. Future. And uh, there was, I set up five sessions and Rose from the World of Prophecy, she showed up my first session. I was so grateful. Her and Mike 99. Mike 99, what's up? What's up? He came in. He did a long talk with me. And then, but, and I was so grateful for that, but that was the first one. But the other five, there was nobody there for me except for my boy, Rick. So the first two Iron Shows, and I'm going to make those available uh, in about a week from now. I'm going to, they're going to be Iron Show A and B. I'm going to call them the pre-Iron Shows. And those are the first uh, sessions with me and Rick. He, he joined me for two sessions. It was just me and Rick praying for Dr. Future. So uh, that is my whole story from birth to the Iron Show. So uh, you know what? Now it's Rick's turn. So, let's see, where do I start? Um, Uh, 1967. Yeah. Summer of Love, August. Uh, A bouncing brat was born. What? What? Okay, and uh, 
So I was born in uh, 1967 in Pomona, California, Southern California, where my father was a research chemist. He worked for some big, huge companies and really good company, Occidental Research Incorporated. He was like one of the head research chemists, I guess. I don't – I might get this wrong. Dad might have to correct me eventually. But, you know, he was, he was pretty big time, really good, you know. And uh, my mother's uh, – she was just a – you know, his wife, of course, she was a, you know, a housewife. You know, back in the 60s, it was kind of like the normal thing, you know, and they met in San Diego, um, which is, is kind of weird. My dad's actually from the East Coast. He's uh, born in Manhattan and I think uh, lived in Brooklyn and then lived in Massachusetts and then came, came out here to go to San Diego State uh, University and uh, kind of helped. I, I, I don't know if this was correct or not, but I think he kind of helped build the chemistry, you know, department there, sort of, as being a student for one, and uh, you know, he told me some stories and what they used to do, so I think uh, he's just one of the main people of the early San Diego State, the chemistry uh, the sciences there, and now it's, you know, what he was showing me, he's taking me there, but anyway, um, just to let you know that my father, you know, he's, he's a brilliant man, he's a very smart man, uh, very smart politi- politically, uh, very smart, you know, uh, with science and, you know, he was into, he's into, was into evolution, he was taught it, uh, which I, I always tell him it's just another religion, it's not really science, but, uh, you know, we, Amen. he said things, you know, and, uh, of course, he believes, you know, some of that, he's theistic evolution, he believes in God, um, he really knows, he knows the word, uh, so, uh, but, you know, he never really taught us that. He, you know, he kept us around it. You know, he was basically more Roman Catholic than anything. So he had, you know, Roman Catholic Italian side because he's uh, half Italian and stuff. You know, I'm a mixed breed of all American things. So praise God. Um, I'm, I'm actually a living babble myself. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, me too. <laughs> but, um, you know, and then my mom, you know, she was born and raised in San Diego. And uh, from, you know... Uh, from people out west, my grandmother was born in Missouri, you know, and they just moved out here. My grandfather was in the Navy, and he was stationed out here on the USS Buffalo, and World War, it was a World War One vet. And so they settled here in this beautiful, wonderful climate I call home, which I still live in the same house now as my grandparents' spot uh, that he paid off in the 40s and uh, I'm t- right now. And so uh, I have one older brother. He's my older brother. Uh, He's uh, yeah, it's my special needs brother. I was born into a situation uh, where I, I'm the youngest, but I was to play the oldest. So uh, it's kind of weird because the Bible talks about the, you know the older will you know serve the younger, but actually um, I'm serving, of course, serving my older brother. But it's still it's kind of weird that uh, I'm four years, four and a half years younger, and I still I'm responsible for my older brother. It's kind of weird that. I had to take on that role as an early age that, like, my mother and my parents said that I already adapted into that role, I already knew what he was like. It was like God already prepared me for him. And so that was my introduction to, you know, into life where I had already came in as a servant. So, we are, yeah. we are, we are our brother's keepers though, aren't we? Uh, yeah. And, uh, definitely so. And, uh, I, I lived that full experience. Uh, my brother was mentally da- brain damaged. We were both breech babies, and if what breech babies are, we were, I kind of joke about it, but I'll probably joke in a minute, and we both came out feet first, 
and the understanding that I got is that my brother's uh, uh, had the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck where it cut off air supply, and it, brain, it caused brain damage in his brain, and he was born that way. And me, I came out feet first, too, but I, my mom was already, she had a C-section with my brother, so I was pretty easy, but I came back, you know, I came into this world with my rear to the world, so, you know, <laughs> I always tell people that. If, if there's a hidden joke behind that, just to, I don't know if I want to upset the, uh, you know, you know, the, uh, the legalist, but, yeah. But my, I was born with, I always tell everybody, just to keep, so everybody can have a laugh, I was born to my butt to the world. So, you know, it was, I used to have that then, family in my rebellious at the time, days. Everybody, every, at the time, everybody knew what was up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my best sign came out first before my, you know. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. That's probably what and Louis then, would say. Louis would probably agree with that. I Probably so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she can speak for herself on that. <laughs> anyway, so as I grew up, my dad, you know, lived out from California. Uh, you know, we grew up in there, and uh, my parents got divorced when I was seven. And uh, my dad stayed with my mom for 15 years. I kind of I didn't really understand why my dad. I understand now why my father left, but uh, of course, before you know, of course, you don't understand. You don't, you don't get it. And I adapted to it pretty well. God, you know, God had a plan throughout the whole thing, so I don't really need to get into that and understanding that. I, I love having a relationship I have with my parents now. Uh, I'm so glad that, that Christ took me out of my carnality. Uh, but I, I grew up and and always having to, to protect my brother. I had, there's, as you know, that kids are cruel. And, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, we parents, we really got to get on our kids, and we got to make sure that they we teach them how to be loving people and, that we teach about, and that we be open about everything, you know, and about people, that when we make fun of other people, we got to be careful of that. Um, There's always somebody better than you that can make fun of you, too, so. Yeah, and, you know, I, mine was pretty, mine was pretty bad, though. Um, by the time, you know, I got into second grade, you know, it was already started, it was during the divorce, uh, my mom became really depressed, which I can't blame her, you know. Uh, she did because she loved she loved my father and uh, you know but it, it didn't work out. I just to say what I wasn't going to say. I think they you know God set them up of course, but I guess they clashed in a lot of ways. There were two different people and I can't say why what really happened, but you know it just uh, that's what happened. You know it just it just happens that way and uh, you know we, we become that that's the kid. So anyway. Um, I already had it pretty, you know, I can't say I had it pretty hard because I, I won't say that, but it was pretty rough, rough growing up because having to uh, defend my brother and, uh, you know, from being teased and uh, to the point where, you know, my mom got really depressed and, uh, you know, growing up in Southern um, California, growing up in Southern California, a kid will have it rougher than a lot of places. Uh, I, I can say it's... It, Kids have a tough lot of play, but I was just, you know, fortunately to live in Southern California, which is, I, I just, I think it's the best in the United States. Besides, well, West is the best. Hawaii. But, um, anyway, I, I became, by the time I hit second to third grade, I became, after a while, for my mom's neglect and her depression, 
uh, well, she used to hide in her room a lot. She tried to do things, but she got really depressed after the divorce. And it stuck with her for years. You know, not just, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, weeks or days or that she got over it and met somebody new. Because my mom never met anybody. She, my father was last. And she, to this day, she just accepted that, well, I'm never going to meet, you know, I got married once. I don't, I don't want to get married ever again. God is my, you know, Christ is my husband, you know, basically. So she did, uh, my mom did raise us from Christ, took us to a lot of churches when we were kids. You know, I was with the Catholic Church, uh, where I learned most of my understanding of, uh, you know, on both sides. Uh, my mom went to Catholic school, so, which was kind of funny. My mom, I had a Methodist family that sent my mom to a Catholic school, but, of course, they didn't understand, you know, the schisms between that, but. That's, that's um, awesome. We're both from Methodist Catholic backgrounds. That's just kind of, yeah, well, that's a lot of that. It's pretty, pretty crazy. So anyway, um, say that, you know, as it gets that little bit, I was, a, I was the stinky kid for the longest time in grade school where, for like, for, from, like I said, from second grade to about, uh, sixth grade, almost sixth grade, fifth grade actually, until I moved. I was teased all that year. I mean, I was teased really harsh. So I had people spitting on me. And just me. I'd fight, I'd fight back. My mom neglected to wash our clothes, and I didn't, you know, I was growing up. I finally learned how to do it at nine years old, but I didn't do a great job. It's just that mom didn't, you know, she just didn't keep up the place, which she always feels, I don't want her really to hear it. I say, Mom, don't feel guilty about this, because this is just what happened, and, and it's not your fault. Nobody's fault. These things happen. This is God building character in me. Anyway. And that's um, sad, though. That's rough. Yeah, and so, you know, that's what happened to me. Um, you know, so I had it really rough. We had, I had real little bullies picking on my brother and I. This one guy, I'll never forget this guy, and uh, uh, that he really did some real damage to my mom and us. We were that bad. This guy was, this guy was evil. He was, this is when evil really came in. And he broke into our house, peed all over our walls, threw crap all over our walls, because, you know, we're like the, the butt of the neighborhood. We were the butt of the neighborhood. I don't know why. I, I never understood it. And, uh, uh, kind of. Oh, that's heavy. And so, you know, in school I had to deal with this. So I couldn't concentrate in school, but I was smarter than that. Um, I, you know, I, my grades weren't good, but they weren't good, they weren't good for a reason. I was a real study and I understood, I excelled, you know, in a lot of things, but I always was like, I didn't have, you know, teachers tried to build me up and I wasn't, you know, and I wasn't built up, you know, uh, I carried that with me. So I started developing an anger problem. A fear problem first, and then it turned into anger later on. And, you know, until we moved. And uh, uh, having to protect my brother, being the stinky kid, having all the whole school. I didn't really have any close friends. There was a couple friends that I had that I remember. I had one friend that he got teased because he was a brain. You know, he was a very smart guy. And we got along, but he moved away. You see, I had, like, didn't have my relationships with people that last. A lot. And I also used to hate people <laughs> at certain times, you know. And anyway, so we finally moved out of that city. And uh, we moved to, my uncle bailed us out, basically. It just, mom um, just, we had, I don't know, I don't know why we moved. But we moved to Orange County, California. With my uncle, and we only stayed there for like six months because uh, my uncle went to help us out. But my, my uncle was a, he was a really great art professor. And guy was a brilliant man, but he he had a 
he was an artist, and, and sometimes he could be a jerk. And he was, you know, and he was, you know, just as things that my mom was, I guess, just because of her depression, we got kicked out on basically almost onto the street by my uncle. And uh, so it split the family up between me and my brother and my mom, and I went and lived, went and moved in with my father. You know, that's what I chose. You know, my mom gave me the opportunity. I, I didn't want to take care of my mom or my brother anymore. As a, as a child, I wanted to be free from them. And so I decided, my mom goes, well, it's up to you. Where do you want to live? She wanted to keep the family together. But I decided I wanted to live with my father. And uh, which dad, uh, I don't know if at the time dad was really wanted to have. I was, I was starting to, this was, I was starting to become, you know, this out of control kid by then. You know, when I lived with my father, but um, you know, just a lot of things were with me. Um, and just to go off the note, Mom did try to raise us in the Bible. She read the Bible to us a lot when we were kids. She'd have story time, and she did participate in that. Even during her depression, she read the Bible because it made her feel better. You know, it made her feel good, and she was developing her relationship with God. But you know, um, but she went and. Moved in with her mother. She moved out to San Diego, and my brother and her moved to San Diego, where I, the house I live in now. And I moved up. To, we stayed out in Pomona, where I changed schools, where nobody knew me. So I was kind of, except a couple kids. But I did my clothes didn't stink anymore, and Dad like cleaned me up, and you know, uh, taught me how to cook, taught me you know, just made me become a, a full-fledged bachelor. You know, so that was the good part. Where I start, I started developing, you know, who I. I was growing up as, and uh, I was still hurt and rebellious, and I was afraid of people, and plus I hated people. So I was a loner for a while, too, kind of, sort of. I liked kids, but I was kind of a loner, sort of. I got, you know, I hung out with some kids out in the neighborhood, played sports, played soccer, you know. I was, a, you know, when I, when I lived with my mom, I was a soccer player, and, uh, you know, I got into baseball, tried to get into football, I was too short, loved basketball, you know, did the normal kid stuff. But when I lived with my father, I did even more. I started, I started getting a little confidence, but I still had that wound that was not healed. Just like, you know, I, it's like my mom. You know, I, I doubt, you know, inherited, you know, not say inherited, but I, I had kind of the same wound for so many years where uh, it would trigger. Somebody would call me a name, and I'd find the, the coolest thing to do is, is throw a rock at him or smash him in the head or run him over with my bike if you, if you try to fight me until I got the crap beat out of me a bunch of times. <laughs> you know, you know, Johnny. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, been there, been there. For uh, I was pretty, you know, I, I kind of drove my dad crazy, uh, you know, learning how to lie really well, and uh, and I, I could say, and and you say you learned how to lie really well. Yeah, I, I got to backtrack a little bit. I forgot. My, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I got to backtrack. A little bit. I left one important part out. I was learned how to lie really good too when I was a kid. I was. I, I gotta. I gotta say this because this is really hard for me to say. It, back in, I was living with my mom. There was a. I got uh, basically uh, uh, molested by a, a, a teenager who was all stoned. A teenage boy. Um, oh man. He wanted. He said he wanted to play a game, and I forgot about that. That was another thing that hit my damage. And, you know, and he tried to, you know, have intercourse, you know, which I don't have to go any further. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on, but, you know, it didn't, it didn't really work, you know, he, and then he didn't really, you know, he kind of stayed away after that because he was afraid I was going to say something. But I, I didn't really know what was going on at the time. It didn't click because I was, I was like nine years old. And, 
I forgot about that part, but that did something to me. It made me think, like, what just happened, you know, and uh, from that day on, there's, like I said, you said you had spirits, right, Johnny, from the occult, right? Yeah. Well, I had yeah, I, I had, picked I, up some demons. Yeah, there was a spirit that came around that, you know, that haunted, because after that, it happened a couple more times from uh, a bunch of her. It's like, it happened to me, uh, molestation happened to me a couple of more times in my life, even in my teens. It's like a wicked and, spirit uh, that will follow a person. It's just as supernatural as anything else. Yeah. And so that happened, and I don't need to go any further than that. That's another damage in my life, which I don't, I, I never really told my parents. Uh, but I'm telling now, so if they hear this, they're just going to hear it this way. I'd rather, you know, because somebody out there has gone through it, too, from man. And, uh, you know, the shame and dirtiness, and uh, it's really hard to talk about. And people telling you that you're gay and you're homosexual, and uh, you're not. You're not. And uh, some people fall into homosexuality accepting that. And I want to tell you that, you know, if you're a homosexual, that, that happened to you. That's what, you know, it was an influence. You weren't born like that. Um, there's a spiritual force behind that. And uh, if you think anybody wants to defend homosexuality as a lifestyle, it is not. It is an influence. And it's, it, it's, believe me, you have a mental disorder. And somebody forced their mental disorder on you. And even though you say that you were like this, there was, a, there was an influence on you. Either if it's spiritual or if it was by a person that, you know, that did that to you. So, just uh, let you know that. Can I break in real quick? Can I break in yeah. real quick? I'd just like to say that, you know, Rick and Johnny, you know, we, we this isn't a show, this our show, we're not a show about hate. We're not a show, we understand sin and everything. And so, uh, we just, we come from the perspective of, uh, like me, my cousin, my cousin Brian, he's the nicest guy you ever met. He's quarters a $3 bill, lives in San Francisco with a big old black boyfriend named Billy. And I tell you, I got a heart for homosexuals, and, but we, we believe it's a sin, you know. We well, believe it's, it's not, a sin, and we don't, we don't hate on homosexuals. We love their brothers, their people that need Jesus, just like everybody else. And we just don't accept it as a lifestyle. We call it a sin, but we, we got, you know, we got a lot of love for all our brothers in the world, and Jesus loves you, you know. You gotta, you need to turn from that way, but there's yeah. no hating going on here. No, it's not that, that. And for the whole movement, it's not that we hate you or, or, or whatever, but it's, we know. And Jesus is there with open arms just saying, look, I can transform you into who you're supposed to be, man or woman. Uh, if you're in that lifestyle, God's calling you, Come to me. I will satisfy you. Nothing else will. Just remember that. Anyway, so uh, let's just go to this note. Now, uh, by the time, I, you know, throughout the time I, I lived, and then we moved to uh, San Clemente, California, when I was uh, just after 12 and 13. You know, I should say I mentioned I got my first guitar when I was nine, and i played guitar ever since. So I had an outlet, too, also. When I escaped when I was alone, I played lots of guitar. So, let you know, that was... Uh, my dad bought me lessons. So from uh, uh, 10 years old on to about 14 or 15, and, and joining bands, I, I became a musician. So that was another thing, just to throw that in there. Uh, I started with guitar, and that was an outlet for me that made me not so violent. I had a guitar, and God put that in my life. Thank God, uh, you know, because I would have been more violent, I believe, if I didn't have that instrument. Uh, 
being part of my life, uh, or I would have went to gangs, or what, you know, I don't know. I just believe that music, God put music in my life, and it stopped me. What made me go to a concert, um, which, you know, I loved Kiss, you know, and I was, you know, I loved all the rock bands, so I get into that very, at a very early age. I had cousins that were in Led Zeppelin, and, uh, uh, you know, Blue Esther Cole, and all, and Black Sabbath, and all that stuff. So, when I go to their houses on uh, vacations and stuff, where, you know, Christmas and stuff like that. They'd be playing the music, and man, I found, you know, that was my heaven for a long time, was hard rock. That was it. That was my life. That was my calling, I believe. Anyway, um, by the time I was 14, now Colin, the madness happens, still just to keep it short, because I know how much time we need. Uh, I met, at, I went to a, one of my first concerts. Not, not, it wasn't Led Zeppelin or Kiss or anything like that. I didn't. I couldn't, you know, I wasn't ready to go to concerts because I couldn't afford it. And Dad was like, no, you know, you're going to go to concerts. He wouldn't let me go yet. And that's understandable. He was being a responsible parent because he didn't, wasn't into that music, so I wouldn't be able to go. But somebody took me to a, a Christian concert. And my dad, you know, my dad said, yeah, go ahead, you know. And somebody invited me in. This, there was a couple that was moved next to me in San Clemente that they were, they were actually Pentecostals. And... uh they taught me about Jesus, and when I was swimming in a pool, because we had a pool resort in San Clemente, and, uh, or actually Capistano Beach, and uh, they kind of introduced me to the Lord, but uh, this, this other, uh, then people, this other people took me to a Keith Green concert, and uh, that is there where I actually understood who Christ really was, was at this Keith Green concert. That's where I said, I believe. That's where I understood that now that Jesus was God, not just the man that died on the cross, that was Savior. I understood now that he was our Lord and he was our Master at this concert. And Keith Green, at that concert, this is before he died. This is now in 1981. Uh, Keith Green, you know, from that day on, uh, as like I said, I considered myself one of his disciples. You know, not as a Christ disciple, but he was the one that basically, his music discipled through me all my life. Before, even when I fell, it was in my backslidden time, I always knew that God was with me, just because I always would have a recollection of this, of this man, and his music, and his, you know, it was very prophetic in my life. And, uh, so at 14 years old, that's where I, I was, I, not basically said a sinner's prayer, because that's not what I really did. Yeah, he can ask us if we believe. He said, it is true. Just call upon his name now, and you will be saved. We didn't really go through a huge uh, sinner's prayer or a big, huge altar call. But he, Keith Green, as radical as he was, really showed me who he was. And, you know, and I became a Christian right there and then. I became born again. I, I totally believe I was born again on that day. I just didn't grow. The seed was planted. It started to sprout, but it didn't really fully grow into a full tree. It was one of those trees that needed to be watered through time and time. So, yeah, I became a Christian, and it did change my life for a long time. I was being obedient to my parents. I started getting good grades, you know. That was about the year what? Right around what year? 81. 81. Yeah, Keith Green concert in Long Beach, California. It's Long Beach Arena. And I don't know exactly what day, but I just knew it was in 81. And he died in 82, and which that crushed me. For a whole year, I had, I, Keith Green, I met the man in person myself, and he gave me his two CDs, which was his last one, and he gave me uh, 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 his first one, which was, uh, yeah, I can't remember, yeah, I, right now I can't recollect the names because I, I, I know him, but, uh, oh, for he who has an ear, 
uh, was one of them, and then the last one was uh, this very last one that he did. Uh, he, gave, he gave me those two cassette tapes, and so I listened to them like crazy. Uh, he gave me a bunch of stuff. I got on Last Days Ministries, uh, which is his magazine that he put out. And uh, just was really into it. I started going to church a lot, you know. And through 15, 14 and 15, I was, you know, preaching in school and trying to start, you know, Bible studies. I went to Bible studies, but I kind of became a radical myself and saw this era that I had control, you know what I mean? And I, I wanted to have the attention because I never had it before. And, uh, you know, started trying to play guitar. I tried to do all this stuff at 15 and uh, this you know, I kind of went kind of crazy, and then Keith Green died. It's kind of weird. He died. I kind of felt like that's when I started falling. It was weird. It was like he died in a plane crash, and all these. I did all of a sudden after that. I just it's that whole like, next year. I think the, the spiritual just came back. Started smoking pot. You know, I was I got into pot. You mean I I smoked marijuana? Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
I was just destructive. Destruction was all the way, you know. And I went to the Salvation Army. I guess the second one. I went to the Salvation Army to clean up. And, uh. Really? Yeah. I went to the Salvation Army and I lived in a recovery program at the age of 19. And I stayed there for, uh, eight months and graduated the program. Wow. Uh, started learning all about Christ again. And, uh, you know, but I wasn't really, I was still very carnal because I'd go in there and I got really cleaned up, got my, I cut off all my hair. Again, I really had long hair again, weird hair, and I shaved it all off because that's what the uh, Salvation Army requires you to do. you got to have a military cut and uh, uh, to be in the program. And it was a pretty I hard program. I didn't know that, really. I almost, got thrown out three t- I almost got thrown out three times. Oh, man, I had, you know, I cut it way short. looked like I was a boot, and uh, which I never liked short hair because I always felt like I looked like a, a dork. But <laughs> they, give you a lot in return. they give you a lot in return, though. Oh, they did. I, I got understanding even more about scripture. So I got, uh, for six months, I followed the program and to stay clean. I stayed clean, never left. I, and this was before I was 21, before I was already an alcoholic. And, uh, uh, so, you know, I stayed in the program and cleaned up, you know, and, uh, went through the program, learned a lot about Christ because there's some real sincere, uh, Christians there that were, that were, you know, in the Salvation Army. And there's, you know, there's some that were fake. And there's some, they added a couple psychiatrists in there that, Try to feed me that crap, evolutionary crap, I call it. And uh, but you know, it's all in all, so the army was a good program because I got we had Christian living, and they'd go through the Bible, and I learned a lot about the Bible then. So you know, I got a lot of head knowledge from that eight months experience. And then you know, I stayed with it. I stayed clean for, uh, uh, and I started going to AA and Narcotics Anonymous and Cocaine Anonymous, all of them, all the anonymouses, you know. You know, I was also chasing, you know, girls and stuff like that then, you know. I still, my heart wasn't still with Christ. I still had, I was still carnal. And, uh, you know, in the program. But I stayed clean. I didn't, I didn't party that way. But, you know, got into weird in and out relationships during that whole madness. Uh, didn't fully surrender. Getting bad relationships. Turned back to Christ. Started going to Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego. Uh, you know. And, uh, started trying again. Tried to be this Christian again. And, well, maybe I can get my life together if I do this right, if I follow God, I'll get a wife, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, uh, but it was like on and off. Then, then I joined the band, you know. And finally I saw another opportunity. I joined the band. Oh, here's my other opportunity. And then this is where the ball started for, all, you know, where things started happening. Where I, we got in a real, I got in a really good band. We started from, you know, from the roots. And this band was called Psychic Zoo. And uh, Psychic Zoo, had a bad exposure article that uh, that basically slammed us with untrue stuff that happened because of a person who got beat up outside the show and standing in line waiting to get in line and had nothing to do with us. And since that article came out, clubs and venues and stuff like that, we were we were coined the phrase the most violent man in San Diego according to this article. And then all all the venues, the popular venues, started not wanting to put us on because they're afraid that they're in, they were going to get sued, you know, because of this person who started all this ruckus in line and then blamed my band for, called our band a racist band, blah, blah, you know, all that stuff. So, Psychic Zoo, the Psychic Zoo's days were over. We we disbanded in, in uh, 94. So, I, I formed a band in uh, 94, 95 uh, called Dagnabbit, and we were playing around town, and we were starting to do pretty good. And uh, the singer of Battalion of Saints, 
called me up on the phone while I worked at this guitar shop in San Diego and said that he needed some he needed some players and could I help him? Uh, he had a guitar player already, but he needed a bass player and a drummer. And uh, long story short, that guitar player worked out. I I got put in that position as the third guitar player of that that popular band, and uh, that's all she wrote. Went on a world tour with Battalion of Saints. We went toward Europe and. Uh and I mean, I toured all over Europe, from Italy to, you know, the Eastern Bloc. I mean, I'm surprised we didn't go to Russia. You know, we were in Poland, Germany. Uh, and, you know, it was a rock and roll tour. I mean, it was a rock and roll lifestyle where, you know, that, if you understand that lifestyle, the drugs were included, the alcohol, and, you know, and the, 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 the worldly pleasures of that carnality was part of that whole thing. Deep in mind, when I was in Italy, Still knowing that I was in a place where, kind of funny, this had to be, I was in a place called Asti. And uh, this one guy out of the blue, we're at the Mediterranean Sea, and I was out, and everybody was asleep, and I was still kind of like all jacked up. You know, you understand what that means. You know, I was drinking, I was, I was up. And this guy goes, uh, we were like in this area where Paul was supposed to be, this one guy tells me out of the blue that St. Paul was a prisoner here. At this area, where were we at? I was standing right, it was, like he said, it's right over there. That's where St. Paul was a prisoner for a long time. I don't know why this guy told me that. Wow. And I was like, and I was like, just a point of interest. It was just like, he just said that. St. Paul was, yeah, he was prisoner for quite a long time. And I was like, and oh yeah, and you know, we were both, you know, smoking a bad cigarette. And, uh, <laughs> if you know what that is, a bad cigarette. Very silky cigarette. You know, and, uh, boy, I mean, it kind of ruined my high. <laughs> and I was like, what? Because it brought you, know, you yeah, back, didn't it? He brought me all back, and here I'm on this, this, you know, deserving to go to hell tour. Uh, you know, I should right there if I would have died. I, I, I can't, I know, I believe in election, and I do believe in being chosen. But I was in Carmelia. I mean, if I would have died right there and then, I believe I would have went to hell. But, I don't think so. Um, um, but that's not the way God works, if you really understand no. it. It's just, no. He had his hand on me the whole time. And it's like God did that throughout my whole life. Um, after, you know, uh, we got back from, you know, there's just certain spots in this tour that God, you know, God would think about. It would say things to me. And uh, I, as I look back, it just like that was one that struck me because I already knew about that. We were in Ossie. We were in Rome. And this was right in the beach area. He was off the beaten track. And this guy said St. Paul was in chains. I was like looking at him like, what? Are you kidding me? Really? And I go, oh. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I understand that. He was, and I understood, like, I knew my Bible still there and then. I was like, oh, yeah, that was in Book of Acts in, uh, what, after, like, uh, Acts 22 or 20. I don't know. I didn't remember what it stopped. But I, I read that. I was like, wow. You know, and it was in one of his letters, you know. And, uh. He was in his chains. I don't know where he was in Rome. I guess you, I don't know. Somebody's. I can't remember. He wrote his letter from there. I can't remember off the bat. But anyway, this God did that, and He kept His hand on me. This, you know, and as, I guess throughout those years, I came back from '96. I came back. We t- I toured with him after that. Uh, the Italian States. We played around. You know, we toured again, and uh, you know, just did Las Vegas and, and other shows like that. Then you know, the drummer and. Uh, uh, and the singer went at it and with the bass player, and then we just disbanded there and then. And, uh, 
uh, Italian Saints. Us, we did the Dagnabbit disbanded from uh, Italian Saints, and uh, that was it. And uh, we kind of went our separate ways for a couple of years, and I became a, a drunk once again, more of a drunk, and uh, went to bars a lot. For, uh, from there, for a few years, I just started to be kind of a heavy partier and trying to start downs, but uh, was starting to do methamphetamine and uh, trying to get this, my lifestyle back together. No, um, and uh, you know, I still had some money, but I didn't, you know, I had a lot of money. But, uh, but I had enough money to drink and do drugs, didn't I? So I tried to get into bands, and then I formed uh, Dagnabbit again with, uh, towards the end of life before, you know, I became a Christian. And 2002, I, you know, got in a band. We, we changed the name from Dagnabbit with the same old members from Battalion Saints, and we tried it again. And uh, I had some new material and all kinds of stuff, and we record. <clears throat> and uh, we started getting really good, and we won the battle of the bands. What's this? You know, we named, changed our name to Money Shot. I had a real disappointing thing happen. I was the singer and uh, guitar player of that band, so my voice fit all the music that I wrote. I wrote, you know, the lyrics and everything. And uh, uh, the drummer and the bass player wanted to bring in a singer because they wanted a front man. And I was like, we don't need a front man. And we brought in a guy, God bless his heart. He really was into it. And he really, he was a real tall guy. And he was a, he was a hardcore pucker, you know, with Mohawks and stuff. But he didn't have the voice for the music. And uh, uh, I had to back him up as the backup singer with him. You know what I mean? And I was really disappointed. And I really, I started getting more loaded, more depressed. And I started freaking out. And then uh, in 2004 uh, of June, I just flipped out and never, you know, I thought, you know, I just stopped going to practice. I didn't care. You know, I just started, you know, I left all my gear with those guys and I just walked away from the band. I left my favorite guitar, my, my best rig that I had for uh, my tone and everything, and I just walked away from it and uh, went in the deep end and started becoming, you know, started dealing drugs, started just getting really bad. And uh, having bad relationships. My now girlfriend, Larie, back then, toward the end of uh, coming a Christian, uh, we were in a relationship that, uh, you know, that was part of that lifestyle, sort of. But it was different between me and Marie because she was a Christian that was also going through a lot. And uh, the things in her life that happened when we met. And uh, she was like the real first person in the midst of all this madness that was going on, that we wanted to come back to Christ, but we didn't know how. Uh, and so it got really rough between me and her just because of the drugs and uh, and because of what it does and the spirit influ- spiritual influence behind it. Uh, I started going crazy. I started getting nuts. And, uh, and I remember Rodney's telling me that, yeah, I remember those things. And I was, I was having it out with God. And I was... Having having it out with God for so many years. This was going on since I didn't realize it, how much I really hated God. I hated God for my life. I hated God because I couldn't make it in the music business. I hated God for having uh, my older brother being uh, mentally disabled. I hated having my mom depressed and hiding in her room most of the time. I I hated God for being molested. All this stuff started coming out of me at the age, in 2004. I hated him so much. I just, I had it out with him in, in my living room. And um, 
I started throwing things around, and still to this day, some of my windows are still broken from that incident. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, which, because I have old windows, but I'll, I'll get into that later. But uh, I just remember that I was, nothing was working. Uh, Marie was gone. She took off because I, I don't blame her. <laughs> I was, but yeah, I was so spun up and just about to explode and things were happening. And uh, the guy just put his hand on me and then he put it heavy, heavy. Uh, so heavy that uh, uh, he it was to my knees. I was... I, I kind of passed out on the floor, I think, in the middle of my living room with broken things around and cops coming into my house all night. And, uh, he's screaming at every, everything and keeping the neighbors up. And this was on a, this was on July 3rd of 2004. I remember having it out with God. I really finally did. And uh, like I said, nothing worked. The tweak wasn't working anymore. The alcohol, I, I drank a lot that day and uh, nothing was working. I couldn't couldn't numb, try to forget everything, you know, everything that things were, God just, like I said, he let all this come out, and uh, I woke up that, I, 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 it's kind of funny, that was my prayer to him, I had it out with him, yeah, I asked him, you know, in curse words, you know, what do you want from me, you know, what do you want from me, why can't you just kill me and send me where I belong to go? Because I'm never, you know, I was like, I'm never going to, you know, that was all that stuff. Even say I was never going to serve you. Ne- you know, you, do, you created me. You, you know, and all this stuff I was blaming them for. And finally, you know, but I, it turned in, it was actually, I was asking, asking for him. I wanted him so bad. I wanted his love so bad. I didn't realize it. Uh, and that was my sinner's prayer. You know, what do you want from me? You know, what do you want from me? And he showed me. I passed out. The next thing I know, I, I don't remember after that. And I will, but I will remember waking up next morning on July, uh, actually on July 3rd, you know, waking up in the middle. I just, I kind of woke up. I saw, you know, it's like I woke up and I, I, it felt like I came to, it was, it was, I know something happened because I woke up, I had, I was clear. It was so weird. I was clear. And I had Keith Green's music playing in my head that I haven't heard in so many years. It was two of my favorite songs. Two of my favorite songs. It was Psalm 23, which is one of his songs. It was, uh, it was like three songs that it kept like it was like I had a CD player in my head playing those songs over and over again. And I, I, I guarantee it, they played for a week. I'd go to sleep with it. I'd wake up with it. It was... I don't know, God chose, you know, what ministered to me when I was young, you know, at 14, the very same day, just to show me that I was his. And then all of a sudden, I ran into somebody, this guy's name is Chris Domingo, he goes to my church now, believe it or not. I right around the corner, I met, I met these people, and somebody walking by, I was looking to go bum cigarettes, this is what, what was, I was looking for, because I had nothing, I had no money, I had nothing, the power, you know, I think... Either it was just my life was a shambles, and I was looking for. Like I said, I had nothing. I was flat broke, nothing. And uh, I ran into these guys. They invited me. They, they saw. They're like, "Are you okay?" And here's I ran right into Christian. That prayed for me. And uh, I ran into Chris, and he just said, "Hey, go down to this place, this church." They prayed for me. I had a couple of beers with, not with these Christians, but with the people that were there at the barbecue. Just of course, they didn't work. 
and uh, gave me something to eat because I was flat broke. I had nothing at that time. I just My mom was gone, and she was living with my uncle because of me. Oh, because I was crazy. And, uh, of course, Louie was gone. And, uh, like I said, I still changed. And I went to church the next day on July 4th. It's like, kind of funny. That was my independence day, wasn't it? You know, yeah. From all that stuff. It was weird how God works. Because July 4th, I hooked up and I went to this place called Horizon Park Chapel, which is downtown San Diego. And funny thing is, I ran into people I know. The pastor was an old friend of mine, him and his wife. We're old, old friend of mine. She was a punk rocker from the days. And uh, he was the pastor of that church, and he wasn't the pastor when I knew him. I never thought this guy would ever be a pastor. But, of course, you know, you never know who God chooses. And I started going, I started attending that church. And from that day forward, I started back studying really hardcore what I didn't learn, you know, throughout the years. And God brought me into the Puritans early, right away, introduced me to uh, Robert and who's been walking me through all my studying these last five years, uh, trying to answer all the questions I used to argue about for years on drugs. <laughs> you know? Thus far, you know, I've been growing in the Lord, like, you know, like a, like I said, like wildly. Like, you know, when the seed's been there and you, it was a plant and all of a sudden, you know, it had to die and all of a sudden, bam, it started, uh, you know, whatever was in me. God will show me on like a big huge bush now or like this tree out in front that uh, a huge tree that's bearing fruit and uh, it was giving me you know I got into stuff that in Christian history it's kind of weird how it wasn't just the Bible teaching that was teaching me I was I had this hunger for God so much that I had to know everything I so I started you know listening to Calvary Chapel stuff but there's a lot of questions I had. There's a lot of things that I was seeing that God gave me right away. And I started getting really heavily into Puritans, started going back to the early church fathers. Uh, got into really heavily eschatology because I had a question, you know, questions. Why are there, why are there 15 different, you know, versions? Why are there that divide us? So, you know, all this other stuff. And, you know, up to finding World of Prophecy, meeting way quickly on there and, uh, Getting involved in a fellowship, Johnny, and uh, building relationships with people. And uh, from Park Chapel, God had called me to Mid-City Christian Fellowship, which is in the, everybody calls it, it's the East San Diego, it's like, um, they call it the, the ghetto part of uh, San Diego. Now, that's where I'm at. And I met Johnny on World Prophecy. My inspiration to all this is if I didn't do music, I always wanted to be a talk show radio host. And uh, I wanted to have a political talk show because uh, I grew up and also my dad taught me well about the differences between politics. Of course, I'm a Republican, but I was also had the Democrats in our family. And, and uh, me, myself, I'm a Republicarian because of the fact that I don't like how the Republic – I'm an old-school Republican, I should say, that, uh, you know, I would say part of the Whigs – you know, if I want to go into history, I, I could bore you with it. But uh, anyway – I met Johnny, and uh, after being on the World of Prophecy for quite a few years, after hanging out with and, and debating with uh, Susan way quickly and the people on there and having really hardcore debates and even very sarcastic debates, which I kind of like that a little bit. <laughs> it's always fun. Yeah, but um, not but doing it out of all love and, and just see what other people know and 
whatabouts and asking questions and uh, questioning things and uh, well, what about the, you know. And then Johnny just says, hey, and I defended him to defend Johnny because uh, I saw a person here that he, he had childlike faith. And uh, he just said, hey, I, I believe Jesus, you know, and he, he was a tough guy. You know, maybe he could ride a Harley if he was alive, you know, today or something. I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. Then I saw, I saw all these people attacking this, this person. And I saw uh, some people on that place attacking others. And I was like, that's not love. That's not abiding by the law of love. Just because this guy is a little bit, you know, he's expressing himself. And he's here to talk about it. He's here to discuss about it or debate about it. But, you know, it felt like I saw him getting ganged up on. And I didn't want this brother to, uh, you know, wait a minute. That's not, that's not how we're supposed to act. Even though he has some wacky belief, let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. Let's, he's a brother. Let's embrace him as a brother. And so I, that's why I saw that. And, and I told Wade quickly about it. And, uh, and Seuss that, you know, there's this guy who was getting attacked. He'll check out this post. I told him about it. And, uh, oh, really? You know, yeah. I, I told him about it. I mean, that you were getting heavily attacked. So, and so I met Johnny. And I thought, this guy is really cool. You know, I kind of like him because he reminds me of myself, too. I'm very sarcastic and just like this guy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that being sarcastic or, or like that. I mean, I look at the apostles were all like that. They're, I mean, if they were fishermen, you got to know what fishermen are like. And, uh, they're like longshoremen. Oh, Peter says, they get away from me, Lord. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I mean, uh, I just embrace yeah. him because I saw, I saw a person, he was reaching out. He was talking about things, and he was wanting to participate, and I just saw him get ganged up on by other brothers. And I, I kind of, that kind of made, I actually made me, it made me angry. And uh, where, you know, of course, not the syndicate, but I just thought, well, you know, what are you people doing? Why are you doing this? You know, why are you, this is not, you know, James says, why are you backbite one another? Why are you, what's wrong with you people? You know, and I threw out scriptures like, you know, hey, why are you, why are you doing, why are you belittling your weaker brother? You know, and uh, if he's a weaker brother, I don't know if I like to be in the weaker brother category, but okay, no, I'll buy it. But buy I didn't it. know you at the time, and I didn't, you know, and uh, just I didn't know who he was. You were new, and I didn't know if you were, in, you know, I, we didn't talk yet. So uh, until we started talking, and you told me, you know, who you are, and I and I saw how just just how outlandish you really are, which is. Uh, yeah, I am. And then you invited me to do the talk show. I'm like, well, I was trained for that. I was like, I'm going to do something to, to kind of get my feet wet in this industry or just to get involved with this somehow. Because, you know, I really like, you know, I really like grew up with the Rush Limbaugh's. And, and uh, when my dad used to listen to talk radio all the time, I really, you know, I grew up with talk radio. Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew, I grew up even after the Fairness Doctrine when uh, when the Fairness Doctrine was removed. A whole bunch of people came out of the woodworks, and uh, the truth started getting out there about a lot of things and uh, where this country was going. So, I, you know, I go—I can't say I grew up with West Limbaugh because I didn't know him until the '90s, but I used to listen to a lot. My dad, did, you know, my dad raised me in the right way and constitutionally. You know, if it's not the Constitution, you know, uh, you know, if, they, if they're not protecting the Constitution, then you know, my dad didn't teach me that. I learned that if. They, if our government officials don't protect our constitution, then they are domestic enemies. I mean, they swore to protect and get an oath 
super tech. And you know what the Lord says about oaths, you know, and vows, you know. You know. And uh, anyway, so that's how I met Johnny. And uh, up to this time, you got my little long story. But today, after five years, uh, I can't get enough. I, I grasp, I'm going and trying to encourage people to study Christian history, study the Puritans. I mean, I'm telling you, these people were a group or, you know, from different churches that wanted to bring unity in the church, and they talked and they debated, but they it, they are very good examples. And uh, and they're very hard to read. A lot of people can't read them. I mean, milk drinkers, you, you know, but I, I tell everybody, try, you know. go. The, these guys were right on with their, you know, even even though we a lot have the Bible, but you know what? You do have the Bible. But it's also good to hear a sermon now and then from somebody else. You get taught by your pastor anyway. You know, I tell people I get everything I can get my hands on to learn about the doctrine of repentance and how they go through those scriptures and and how they, you know, uh, they were they're great teachers to the early church fathers. That's what I really got into first. Uh, I started learning that because I wanted to know. I wanted to know something different from the Calvary chapels and the famous preachers of our modern day. And now I'm understanding that, you know, maybe Johnny agrees or some of you agree. I believe that they they got it. And today, we are losing it. Some people say there's a great falling away. We've had it. I understand it. But knowledge will increase both ways. It's going to increase, you know, they say, in the Lord. But these guys got it. And they understood it. And they lived it. And if you read about their lives, uh, especially this guy named David Brainerd, who was an American Puritan, and Jonathan Edwards, uh, you read about their lives. And you read about John Bunyan, who was one of me and Johnny, and uh, William Perkins, was another me and Johnny. William Perkins, it's like me and Johnny are, are the sarcastic, you know, I, I would want to consider myself John Bunyan and, and consider Johnny a William Perkins because they used to sing a song about uh, how, you know, crazy and wacky William Perkins was and how the tinker was, which is John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, William Perkins wrote uh, uh, The Art of Prophecy, which is a recommended book for all you who are in prophecy. That's a book I would read from the 1600s to understand prophecy a little bit better than what we do now. But uh, and he'll tell you exactly the, what it really is. And that's how I learned about prophecy is, is by that Puritan. But he was a wacky guy, a drunkard. Uh, I think, I don't know if he beat his family or not. I, he was like that until he got converted and went, you know. But just to say that is that me and Johnny are trying to do that to this day, being that wackiness, aren't we, Johnny? Our boy... From down under, Mr. Wake quickly has joined us in the chat room. Ah. Yes, give us an email if you are. You know. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Johnny at IronShow.com and Rick, R-I-C, at IronShow.com. Send us an email. You know, we haven't got too many emails. We get a lot of listeners, but... Nobody's really communicating with us. And, you know, also, you can uh, hook up uh, ironshow.com slash board. That's ironshow.com slash board. That's the message board, and that's another way to communicate with us. Come on in, uh, join the message board. You know, we'll keep your information uh, very, very private. You know, we, we're not going to spam you with any kind of commercial stuff or anything. You know, if you just uh, log in and, you know, uh, uh, get yourself a username and password and then join us. You know, we'll communicate on the board too, besides sending us emails. So yeah, you don't have to worry about joining our board. Another place where, uh, it's not a forum, it's just a place to study, to learn some stuff from uh, early church fathers and 
uh, current stuff and uh, you know just learn all this stuff. I'm just wanting to pass it on to everybody so you know what you know what we're into, <laughs> what I'm into with Johnny, what I'm trying to get Johnny into. <laughs> and everybody me and else. Me and Rick, we're, we come from two different uh, sides of the coin. You know, we both believe in Jesus and core doctrine and really the stuff that really counts, grace. Uh, one saved, always saved, all the stuff that really matters. But that's where we part company, right around there, because I'm way off in the sci-fi category, as Rick categorizes me, you know. I think we're right there in the end times. I I think the UFOs are going to come, and they're going to be demons or fallen angels, and, you know, and, and, and Rick really comes from a lot more conservative, uh, point of view from that. So that's where we, a lot of our iron sharpening iron, uh, we come from such totally different points of view on that, that that's kind of what makes the show exciting. You know, we do a little battling, you know, and we throw out IRDs at each other, and it's pretty cool, really, you know. You know, you know. You know, you know, you know, you know. I'm trying to get away is that, hey, Johnny, is that your imitation of a donkey? But, uh, yeah. I, I like sci-fi stuff, too, but that's why I, I keep it sci-fi. Because it, you know, until right, it can that's be proven. the difference. And I, I, that's totally, the difference. I totally say that all the answers to prophecy are in Scripture alone. And it's not for us to interpret it. It interprets itself. And I believe if you don't, no, I don't believe it. Scripture does say, you know, Scripture must interpret Scripture. And Paul, right. Me and Wayne Quickly are like, uh, we believe that Scripture interprets Scripture after Rick interprets it. <laughs> yeah. I don't interpret it, though, so, you know, I'll let it speak for itself. And uh, it got, you got to keep it in context. And if it's not in context, if it's something that's way out, I, you know, like I said, I'll challenge it. So, you know, and there's a lot of error that's out there, and we we got to be aware of what the errors are, and we got to understand that it, we must work our own salvation with much fear and trembling, and we must, you know, understand are we in the Scriptures or not? You know, are we believing somebody else's teaching, or is this what Scripture is truly saying? That's how people fall. They'll start believing in the eschatology more than they will start believing in who is in control of it all, and who is sovereign, and that's, I believe, you know, Jesus is sovereign, Nothing is date, nothing, I don't think like a date setter. I don't, I will not. And, uh, I don't know, Johnny. No, I but I don't Johnny. either. I don't either. No. I don't either. And I think we're right there in the end times, but I, re- I remain to be convinced otherwise. Yeah, you know, I think too. it's, I think it's possible that we could be way far away from it. I, I still, I still, I'm open-minded as far as that stuff goes because. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't say that I'm not. You know, there is, there is the truth, and I'm not, I don't pretend to know it. Except for yeah. Jesus and Him crucified, I, I I claim to know that truth is absolute, and know that He is the truth. Yeah, you know, and like I said, you know, Johnny, you know, you, got, you can't get me all far, man. I'm a big Trekkie, you know. I love Star Wars, you know. Uh, I'm always into fictional stuff, like you know, I, of course I love Nar- the C.S. Lewis Narnia, and I love J.R. Tolkien stuff, you know. But you know, my uh, Ray Bradbury and uh, Isaac Asimov and Jules Verne and H.G. Wells. I was all into sci-fi, really heavily. So there I mean, is, you're making fun of me. You're very clever at making fun of me, Rick. No, I was really into this. Very clever. I was real... <laughs> dude, 
I like the new stuff. H.G. Wells, you know, John McMahon, Lynn, Lynn Marzulli, you know, all the sci-fi people. I'm into them. I like Star Trek, too. <laughs> uh, you took it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Live long and prosper. Okay. Live long right. and prosper. I like it. I like it. <laughs> One damn minute, Admiral. Yeah. Um, we have a guest in here, guest seven, and uh, he said that the uh, the wrath is six thousand years old, so we're approaching the Sabbath day of creation, the end of the work. Oh, guest seven is wait. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, we know wait. Jesus is the Sabbath, and he's the Lord. Okay. okay. We okay, we wait. must rest in him and be still and know that he is God. There you go. How about yeah. that? Wait. Wait said that. Wait said oh, okay. that. He said the wrath is six thousand years old, so we're approaching the Sabbath day of creation. That's pretty the good. End of the work. Yeah, interesting. Think so. It is. It is. Look, there is a. You know, Jesus said. You know, like Peter said that. You know, heaven and earth will pass away with a great noise. And to tie that in with Jesus saying, some will be in marriage and given in marriage. You know, and you know, and uh, you know, there's a lot of since the end will come and it's going to be sudden. You know, not like. Uh, some people believe that's this rapture and it's going to take everybody away. But no, it's I just. The consummation, boom! It's the end of you know. It's the it's the total end of what Christ is going. It's bam! It's just going to happen. I mean, yeah, we're going to see. Wait's idea. Wait quickly's idea. And correct me if I'm wrong. Wait, but God created the world in six days, and uh, we've been in the seventh ever since. And uh, we're near. According to Wait, we're near the end of the seventh. So if you're listening to like to. Now you know that we have some differences, but that's the whole iron show is is iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That's the Proverbs. And uh, to let you know, if you've come here and you stumble upon the iron show, and you're one of those people right now that don't know who Jesus is, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the creator of the world, uh, the one who is the word of God, who spoke you and I, me, Johnny, Wait, Marie, all of us into existence, the whole the whole world, the whole universe, focus into existence. He is uh, either going to be your Lord and your master, or he's going to be either your, you know, your judge, uh, terrible judge, and he's going to judge terribly. Uh, but you know, this is the whole purpose of the Iron Show, is that you get to know who Christ is, and know what he's done, that Christ came, and he took upon our sin upon himself and nailed it to a cross. He did that for the whole of mankind. And uh, just to let you know that uh, you don't have Christ, you know, right now at this very moment. Uh, you didn't come to the Iron Show on accident. Um, Christ is calling your name at this moment. And the, thing, the good thing about it is, is that he gave you an opportunity to, uh, you know, he gave you the ability to choose him or not. And right now you're standing at, you know, we say you're standing at a crossroad. You're standing there wondering if, you know, Christ is real. And you may be in the world and you're in sin and, and you don't know, but you came across here. And uh, you have Jesus Christ right now calling your name and saying, hey, I'm right here, you know. You didn't come here by accident. And he's ready to transform your life. 
He said, except a man be born again or he cannot see the kingdom of God. You're going to die someday. That's guaranteed. That's guaranteed. We're all guaranteed to die. 150,000 people die every 24 hours. That's a fact. And, take a look uh, at take a look at a skeleton. That's going to be you. That's guaranteed. Take a look at when you watch. Let's say you watch television, like CSI or NCIS, or you see people die all the time, or you witness the car accident. When you say it's not going to be you, guess what? It's going to be you. You can count all that. Yeah, we're all going to have to face God one day. It is once appointed for all men once to die, but after this a judgment. And what does that mean? I'm, I'm not going to die and cease to exist? No. It is true. And uh, I'm sorry to say some people have a hard time with me saying it's a fact. And because uh, I know I'm very confident. And I know. I know it's 100% truth that we're going to face him one day. And he's, like I said, he's either going to be your savior, your master, or your lord. Or he's going to be your, your judge. And he's going to judge you. And people are always going to send me to hell or whatever. I said, no. Um, now that decision is up to you. He gave he made you to have that decision. He gave you that ability. Uh, you know, he gave you that free agency to make that decision. Either he says, "I stand before you," it stands before you, is life or death, and he says, "Choose life." You can either go your way and just world living by yourself, being your own god, or you can understand that, you know. <laughs> No matter how successful or rich or whatever, you're still, you know, none of that matters. It's just temporary. You know? Can't take it with you. You see all these skeletons and people buried in the ground. They haven't got anything with them. And if they do, they're not using it. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, just like me and Johnny understand that you've pulled a lie once. You've probably stolen once. You probably disobeyed your parents once. Uh, you probably hated somebody in your heart. That's like Jesus says, that's like committing murder. Uh, right. You know, you've probably coveted, you know, you put, there's a whole bunch of things. You've probably taken the Lord's name in vain and blasphemed his name. You like probably lost it after Britney Spears once. <laughs> you know, you probably use this, you use this name as the curse word. Um, you probably have idols in front of him right now, and you probably didn't love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And, you know, and uh, you think about it, you've broken all his commandments. You're a sinner, just like we once were. And, uh, you know, you're standing before you, you did all these things, but God's saying, you know, that Jesus took your punishment. It's like <clears throat> when you were judged guilty and already condemned, you know, ready to be punished. Jesus stood in your place. He says, when you cry out to him and you call upon his name, you can say anything. Jesus, help me. I want to believe you. You know, I want to know who you are. I want to understand if you're real or not. And he will reveal himself to you. And this is the whole purpose of the show. And you know Christ is being revealed to you right now. Don't make that decision. Don't don't waste the time because tomorrow is not guaranteed. You could die, you know, 15 minutes from now, you know, five minutes from now. All of a sudden, you're driving in your car, you're listening at home, you can have a heart attack. And it'll be too late because, you know, it's only fair. 
God gives us, you know, this is our whole life. He says it's but a vapor. Appeared for a while, but quickly vanished away. And here you're standing before that crossroads continuously. Make that decision. Right, Johnny? That's right. And wait quickly says five people dying every second. Yep, your second could be coming up next. So uh, make that decision now. Don't wait. Don't wait to get cleaned up and then come to Jesus. You know, you don't wait for that. You can do that later. Right now, you've got to ask Jesus into your heart. And it's simple as that. And it's not any more complicated than that. And it doesn't take any kind of ritual. You just say it right now. And that's the end of that story. That's that's all it takes. That's, that's what separates you between life and death for the rest of eternity, really. Uh, we quickly says, what's amazing, even if only one out of five are Christians, that means Jesus is greeting someone every second. That's, that's interesting. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, it is. Every second, Jesus is a busy guy. It's a good thing he's got, or he wouldn't be able to handle that kind of load. But, uh, true, hey, I just... True. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Wait. You guys go, true, true. What's up? You're supposed to stay for me. Nah, wait. You're supposed to stay for me. Anyway, um... But uh, I'd like to, I'd like to say, uh, I'd like to say uh, a little bit about the Iron Show. We started about six months ago, uh, uh, late August of uh, 2009, and all the music you hear in the Iron Show is uh, Johnny Johnny's music, every bit of it, because uh, nobody can sue me for my own music. So you might not like uh, Johnny's music, but you can't sue me over it. So I just wanted to oh. say that. And, uh, all the music that you hear on the Iron Show is available for download at ironshow.com. That's uh, ironshow.com slash other dot html. That's ironshow.com slash other dot html. At the bottom of the page, you'll find all my music in MP3 format. You can download it, all the music you hear on the Iron Show. And, uh, yeah, and Rick, Rick can go download any of those songs and add a guitar solo. So, uh, you know, that's just a little notification for Rick there. <laughs> so, yeah, we're both musicians. Rick hasn't added any music yet, but he will. So, um, I just wanted to say that. I mean, anybody who listens to the music on the Iron Show, that's it's all original music. And uh, so, uh, Larry says, Rick, just do it. Okay, so uh, so it's really been real uh, having you here, everybody, for Iron Show 11, and I'm sure glad you came in here and and yep. uh, hung out with me and Rick and listened to our stories, and, and it's been real, you know? So, uh, hey, let's do the Scooby-Doo ending. Let's pull off the mask of Johnny and see who he really is. You're not Johnny. You're old man Witherspoon. Yeah, and I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>